Protect the Rock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Clemson prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. This is actually not just in sports, but there are tickets in music and theaters as well, which is pretty cool because not all the time I want to do sports or go to sports or think about sports. And I like to diversify my free time a little bit. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. And we're going to enjoy this tonight, but on Friday, we're going to have another team meeting and we're going to get locked in on next year. Hey everyone, welcome to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach and she is Grace Rayner. Grace, you are back from Louisville. How was the trip? I am back. It was a really fun trip. That's I feel like that's an underrated um, like college town on the schedule. Well, it's a little bit more just like an actual city. Like it has a lot That's of different true. personalities and identities. Yeah, the downtown area is really cool. I was a little bummed. Like I was talking to Pat Forty from Yahoo. It's now on my bucket list to like I want to go see a horse race. Having come back oh, from Kentucky, yeah. I'm like I gotta mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, I've actually never been to the Derby. I've done. I've gone with Pat to like a random racing thing, and you know, put like a dollar on. These horses I've never heard of, Um, but it's really fun. It's really cool. And the downtown area of Louisville is pretty cool. So I'm with you. It's not quite a college town in my estimation, but I do love it. It looked beautiful. It looked like the perfect college football Saturday setting. Um, And there was there was such bad weather across especially the ACC, but a lot of places this past weekend. So um, I feel like you lucked out. Yeah, it was an it was a beautiful day. The temperature was great. It's finally cooling down a little bit. This was fast fact the first noon game Clemson has played all no. year. Yes, that, wow. And at ACC, if you're listening, please give us more. <laughs> it's like the opposite of Alabama, where we've been hearing every single week that they when they play like those noon Eastern kicks, we hear complaints every single week. I wish we could play at like nine in the morning. Well, I don't know. I mean, you might need to to move to the Pac-12 and you know, maybe cover Colorado or someone who's willing to do that. Um, but I don't know if you're going to get there, Grace. I think you're going to get stuck with a lot of primetime games. Just just saying. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about what happened in this game. And I, I feel like we need to kind of separate the first quarter from the rest of the game, or at least the first half from the rest of the game, um, because it, it definitely set a narrative nationally about Trevor Lawrence and Clemson again. You know, we, we felt like they had, you know, kind of turned a corner in the Florida State game. And then Trevor comes out and has two red zone picks in the first quarter. And I think that, you know, that obviously puts him he, – he has eight interceptions on the season. That's the most in the ACC. And I feel like – and I wrote about this in the takeaways from Saturday. But I feel like it validated all of these questions and comments and concerns that we have about Trevor Lawrence. And – to me, because of that, even despite the rest of his performance, the rest of the game, and that they won 45 to 10, it seems fair to wonder what's going on with Trevor Lawrence. Is, the, is Now, is that a fair read? Because nationally, from afar, it seems 
justified. I think so. I mean, after what we saw against Florida State, you kind of have this moment where you're thinking, okay, Trevor is back to what we saw in 2018. He really kind of performed in the way that he did college football playoff. We just saw that version of Trevor where he was, you know, picking things apart and looked Mm -hmm. really clean and really crisp. And so um, historically, you know, and we talked about this last week on the pod, historically Clemson has a shaky game or in some cases even a loss, and then it's just – put the foot on the gas and go. And then all of a sudden we're at Louisville and you look up and the first quarter is over and Trevor Lawrence is three of seven for nine yards with two interceptions. Right. So what ends up happening, even though he certainly got on track, his overall numbers ended up, obviously he he ended up throwing for 233 yards, three touchdowns, 20 of 29, even including those interceptions. They win by 35 points, but the narrative is set. And I I still think, because especially throughout the first half, you could have made a case that there were three or four plays that go a different way. Louisville's winning at the break. And they were being outplayed in certain ways. And thank God they have Travis Etienne. But I do think that the idea that Trevor Lawrence is maybe regressing is happening, is a thing. And, And we're seeing it in terms of the AP poll, Clemson dropped again to number four. We saw sure. in our colleague Stu Mandel's top 10. He has Clemson outside the top four at number five. And I wonder, these polls don't matter. These rankings don't matter until we get to the college football playoff rankings. But is there a legitimate reason to be concerned if you're looking at the postseason and the perception of Clemson right now? Or are you not that worried because we don't have the rankings that matter? I think it's somewhere in the middle. You know, I mean, I think obviously the argument is, well, the AP poll doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera. But these are still voters who are intelligent people who with a a pulse on the sport. And, you know, they're not just saying, oh, well, you know, whatever. I mean, they're they're. I remember when I was an AP voter, I had like three and four spreadsheets going at a time, like well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if everyone's doing that. OK, that's fair. But I don't like I don't like this narrative that the AP voters are just trying to generate clicks or. Right. You know, oh, they're they're bored. And so they're trying to shake things up. Like, I think this I think that's a little unfair. I think that's a little short sighted. Like, if you look at this Clemson team, there's no way that they're playing at the rate that you thought that they would heading into the 2019 season. And I don't think that that you can argue that. On the other hand, I do think we're going to get way more clarity once we get the first installment of the CFP rankings, sort of what they think about Clemson. So I don't think it's time to panic, but I do think we are seeing a shift right now in public perception. Right. And so just to back that up, let's um, let's turn over to our friend and colleague, Ralph Russo. He works for the AP. So he wrote this in his breakdown of the top 25 poll this week. He said that preseason number one teams commonly relinquish the top spot Uh, without losing, but the extent of the fall is unusual. He said the last preseason number one to drop as far or further than number four without a loss or a tie was Oklahoma in 1977. So this is unusual that they keep dropping. And if you have to go all the way back to 1971 to find a similar drop to Clemson's for preseason number one, Notre Dame started the season at number one, won its first five games, and dropped to number seven. So I think that that is an interesting subplot to watch. And again, the behavior of the poll voters for the AP 
ends up mirroring the playoff rankings once we get there. But in the front end, I do think people are starting to shift a little bit where even before the playoff era, you would wait until someone would lose because that's kind of just how the BCS went. And now you're seeing strength of schedule, the quality of opponent, the way that teams are winning play into this more. And so I think that's why voters are dropping Clemson the way that they have been. Yeah, I think they're trying to look at it from a human being standpoint, just like the CFP voters are. I mean, right. they take into account injuries. They take into account, I mean, everything you just said, strength of schedule, style points. It's not some, you know, computer generated algorithm. Like this is, these are real humans watching these games when with the CFP voters. And I know AP voters can't watch every game. It's impossible. But I, I do think that they're making choices that, that they think are logical based on what they think about what's happening. Right. And this is why when we talk about style points, when you're looking at like the ACC schedule, that stuff matters. Because even yes. though Clemson won big, the perception and the way that they won was that they struggled in the first half. That Trevor Lawrence put them at a disadvantage, cost them a lot of points. And to me, this is really similar to that Florida State team the first year of the playoff. It was the year after Jameis won the Heisman. And that team was undefeated deeper into the season, but they were not looking great doing it. And we all thought this is not actually a great team, but it's the college football playoff era, and they're going to have to include an undefeated Power 5 team especially out of the ACC. So there's no way they're not going to be in there. But it did it did change the way we thought about seeding, I think, because you were looking at the quality of opponents and the way that they were winning games and eking things out. And I think that that is a very similar comparison because that was a team that returns a Heisman Trophy winner, high hopes, high expectations, going undefeated, but not in the way that we thought. And we penalized them for that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I mean – Look, there's a, a strong possibility. Well, I don't know if I should say it's strong, but actually, yeah, maybe strong. I mean, Clemson is not looking like it could be the only undefeated team heading into the playoff. And so right. I know that, you know, there's this argument out there. Well, they did what they did to Alabama in January, blah, blah, blah. But that that doesn't matter. You know, the, you don't mm-hmm. get – I don't know. I don't like this narrative that you can sort of play it both ways where it's like, look – last year that you don't you don't get to carry over points from the from the from the playoff last year if if Alabama or LSU or Ohio State or Oklahoma are also all undefeated in some capacity I know Bama and LSU both can't be undefeated but if they are and or if the other ones are and they've looked better doing it that matters yeah and 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 that's the that's the thing because we think it's you know we just finished week eight there are undefeated teams you know, we didn't expect Wisconsin to lose to Illinois. Like, there, there's going to be things that continue to happen. So if Clemson stays undefeated and there's not multiple undefeated teams, like, that changes things, certainly. Because, again, I just don't think, like, an undefeated Power 5 team gets penalized in that way. But right. it definitely affects seeding. We've talked about why that matters in terms of locations this year. Um, but but I just think I, I just think it's really fascinating that the poll voters are are really kind of bailing on Clemson so much. And we talked about this last week where we did we did our preseason votes and, and predictions for the playoff and for our national champions. And it does feel like a risk to be all in on Clemson right now. And that seems unfair. And listen, I I, I put out a, to- a poll on Twitter 
about as before we recorded this podcast, like, are you concerned about Trevor Lawrence? And two thirds of the people right now, and you know, the poll hasn't been out that long, are saying they're not at all concerned. They're still undefeated. They're still winning handily. It's not costing them anything. I just wonder what that means when they play an opponent that's elite. Right, right. You know, I thought I a couple weeks ago I did a story where I was talking to some former NFL quarterbacks who's helped me sort of break down some tape on Trevor, and then I talked to Mark Rick from ACC Network, and one of the things that he said that really stuck with me was that over the course of a season, a quarterback is is building habits, and mm. and he and he didn't mean it in terms of oh no, Trevor is in trouble, but I started then thinking, okay, well if he's been building these habits from week one, then. I, I don't know. Do we see a, a drastically different version of Trevor Lawrence in week 12 or in the playoff than we have so far? I mean, at this point now, Clemson's played seven games. It's not mm-hmm. like, and we've talked about this a lot. This is not like early season rust anymore. This is like I, literally in the middle of the game, I tweeted like, what what is happening? Right. And, and it's actually an interesting kind of, I don't know, is it an inflection point or kind of a forking the road point? Because... You know, you also have on the other side, and, and I wrote about this in Takeaways as well, but you have Tua Tagovailoa injured at Alabama. And so right. you have these two players that were by far and away the Heisman frontrunners entering the season. They were in the title game last year. They were head and shoulders above everybody else last year. Their efficiency numbers, their, you know, their lack of turnovers, all these things were incredibly high. And you have Tua who's out for at least one week. It's Arkansas, doesn't matter. Then they have a bye, then they have LSU. It's a high ankle sprain. It's the other ankle from last year, but that severely changed what Alabama was able to do offensively when Tua is not 100%. Sure. You have Trevor, who is not, like, again, it's not a health thing, but it's not like the 100% Trevor we saw last year, right? And it just sort of seems like we need to come to terms a little bit with the fact that those two may not be having the seasons that we're going to expect them to have. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately okay. I mean, their teams are still winning. And right, they're both they're both undefeated. Right, right. They're fine. That's going to be the the million dollar question, I guess, as we head into December. Is is it enough? Right now, it has been in both cases. Will it continue to be enough? Is why we love college football. Yeah, and so that you know, these are just subplots to see. And again, we always try to couch this. It's all nitpicking. But it seems like we're a little bit past the nitpicking phase. Like, it seems like these are, you know, potential legitimate issues that could cost them against great teams. But we're not there yet. We're not sure. And Clemson is sure lucky to have Travis Etienne. So, you know, we talked about this last week and you wrote about this. But in what ways did Clemson make it a point to make sure that Travis Etienne was was dominant, was was involved in the game plan, and, and really impacted the result of this game? Because... You know, he finished with 14 carries, 192 yards, and a touchdown. And he was just – he was he was great. He was everywhere. He was kind of what you thought would happen. But how specifically did that unfold? Yeah, I mean, I think that's – honestly, you look at the heart and soul of this Clemson offense right now, and it's Travis. And, you know, we talked to Tony Elliott, Clemson's co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach this past week, and he had basically said, look, I feel like we need to be more intentional in just forcing the issue with Travis. And, you know, right now he estimates that about 60% of Clemson's offense is RPO-based. And 
essentially he was like going into this second half of the regular season we're going to take some of these rpo tags off and just force feed the ball to travis because we need the ball in our best playmaker's hands so we obviously still saw a lot of rpo work on saturday and and it sounds like from everything that tony said he was really pleased with the way trevor read the situations but i do think that you're going to see travis just continue to build and build and build from this already pretty rock solid foundation he's got And one other thing that I thought was interesting after the game you wrote about this was Justin Ross's reaction to the idea that Clemson's offense takes a while to get going, both in games, but I think kind of like that's a more fundamental stretching over the season thing that we're like waiting for them to get it going. What did he say and what kind of prompted that reaction? Because he was pretty forceful about saying, I don't think anything's wrong you know, it's going to change. We're going to get better the rest of the season. So so lay out how that all unfolded. Yeah, so Justin obviously was we, – we haven't really talked to Justin a ton this year, but after that crazy catch that went viral, we, we talked to him. And honestly, everyone was just kind of dispersing from him. I guess his interview was wrapping up, and I hadn't talked to him yet. And so we talked about the catch and la-da-da. And then I just kind of very casually was like, hey, why do you think this offense is taking so long to get going? And to his credit, and I feel like sometimes this doesn't come across in print, like he was not very, he was not defensive at all. He was very relaxed and very chill, but he basically was like, I don't think there is anything wrong with the offense. I guess it's just taking us hmm. a little minute to get going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, but, and then he paused for a second and he said, but that's going to change. And I was like, oh, really? Like, why do you, you know, and I felt a little I felt like I was firing shots at him afterwards, but I was like, why do you say that? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you're like grilling him. You're like, well, why, why, why? That that seems you're out on a ledge. Why, why, why? <laughs> I was like, what What makes you think that? And he basically was like, we're clicking a little bit better than we did at the beginning of the season. And I feel like we're going to hit really hit our stride, which is not super descriptive. But, you know, I mean, I, you look at the Florida State game, he, he has a case. And then you look at the fact that he was more involved Saturday than than he, we, we've seen from him in games past. And you think, okay, you know, maybe. And Jeff Scott was saying, too, that, you know, you look at a game like Saturday, T. Higgins has one catch for three yards, and now Clemson's plan moving forward is they just really kind of want to keep these defenses guessing. Is it going to T? Is it going to Justin? Is it going to be given to tra- Travis? Like, what's the plan here? So I think they have a case, but I'm sort of trust but verify. You know, like it, it's mm-hmm. just taken so mm-hmm. long into the season that I kind of want to – see them produce yeah if you're if your mother says I love you fact check it double check it. <laughs> exactly it's, it's the whole same thing you know and, and it's possible we'll just say it right now we may have jinxed T Higgins it was the Nicole Auerbach feature curse it is potentially a thing it is potentially <laughs> a thing oh my gosh wait has um, this happened before well, I mean, historically, yes. <laughs> Which is, with your story specifically? Yeah, not, not specifically <laughs> this season. This might be the start of something new. Um, but yeah, no, that has happened when you decide to write a big blowout feature and then they suddenly like aren't targeted. Um, and, and actually, T was involved in, um, or at least, you know, was, was supposed to be the intended receiver in one of Trevor's mistakes and, and Trevor's interceptions early. And I thought it was interesting how Dabo responded to that and what he said to Trevor how concerned does he seem about these eight interceptions on the season he doesn't seem concerned at all and and the reason for that is well there's multiple reasons one they're winning two they're winning big three he sees Trevor every day in settings that we don't see him and four he's kind of been through this with Deshaun Watson you know he was he Mm. he reminded us on our way out Saturday night like hey if you guys remember 
Deshaun threw 17 interceptions the year that Clemson won their first title and 13 the year before. So he's, he was very, very nonchalant. Like, um, I, I thought his best quote of the whole night was when he got asked, you know, sort of what he said to Trevor after the two interceptions. And he was just very calmly, very politely, but very nonchalantly. He basically was like, that was stupid. Like, what are you doing? That was just bad football. And he was like, that was like the worst football ever. And then, and then it was over. Like, all right, let's go to the next play. And Trevor has always been like that. Trevor's always been very, very in tune with being able to just move on to the next play. Um, and he and he took some accountability Saturday night too. You know, he he had an opportunity to sort of bail out when a reporter asked him if the perfection or the uh, the expectation to be perfect was too much. And and he kind of walked it back and was like, well, I mean, it is a lot, but but also I really could do a lot of things better. Right, and and just to double check, so Deshaun Watson, in that was 2015, where he had oh, all was those it? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah. So what are the numbers? Do you have them? Yes. Um. So 2015 was his sophomore year. They were 12 and 0, number one in the polls. Um. And he, actually, do I have his numbers handily? I, I don't think so. But that that was the year that he would have probably won the Heisman if they had voted at the end of the postseason. Because I I do ah. think it was related to his numbers on the season um and and I think that that was part of it okay so I have the numbers pulled up so in 2015 which would have been the first year that Clemson made the playoff hashtag pizza party year Deshaun would have thrown 13 interceptions that year 2016 the year they win it all they beat Alabama and Tampa he threw 17 okay so basically both of those years they yeah, dealt with so, this. Yeah, that this was yeah. this was a thing. I mean, and they were putting them in positions where they had to make up some ground. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and look, we knew just by nature of Trevor being the full time starter this year, he was going to be in situations where he could throw more picks. That's you know, he, he no Grace, start. Grace. We all thought he would never <laughs> throw an interception again. <laughs> but think about, I mean, so he had what four all of last year and eleven starts, I believe. I mean, you've got the first four weeks of the season and he's splitting time. So that's why I, I, that's why I think Dabo doesn't, isn't really too concerned about it. He was, he did say, and I thought this was interesting. I, I thought he did. I thought this was interesting when he said, sometimes I think Trevor trusts his arm too much and trusts his receivers too much, which huh. um, I, we hadn't heard him say so far. And it's, that seems like a, a reasonable thing. I mean, Trevor has one of the, the best arms in college football and one of the best, you know, supporting casts in college football. So, well, that 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 certainly speaks to things we've talked about. About there are certain times where the ball's not perfectly thrown, and sure. he really is just trusting that his receivers are going to go up and get there. And I think Justin Ross's catch that really did bail them out at the end of the first half was emblematic of that. Sure, that was that was one of the best catches I think I've seen in yes. 2019. Definitely the best Clemson catch all season. Yeah, I agree. And actually, like this is a good transition because obviously on our Monday pods we do roses. And I wanted to give my rose to Justin Ross for that catch because I really feel like that was a huge turning point in the game. And also, it did shift that if, if if Trevor had gotten picked off in that moment, in that jump ball in the end zone. Now, I I just think the game changes. I think the narrative shifts to an even more skies falling. Sure. And it was just phenomenal. And it just really showed, like, we have seen Justin Ross make those types of catches. We have seen T. Higgins make some crazy catches. It actually, 
the announcer during the game said, wow, that's like a basketball catch. You would have thought T. Higgins was the one who did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, they read your story. Yeah. Um, but but truly, that is why when you say he might be trusting his receivers too much or putting too much on them, that's why. Because they can do stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they've Clemson has this thing where, and Jeff Scott says this all the time, like at Clemson, he expects 50-50 balls to be 80-20 balls. And so that's mathematically, that's a that's a pretty good percentage. I'm probably yeah. sl- slinging it too and taking that risk if I'm Trevor Lawrence as well. Yeah, and um, I mean, and that's essentially, and again, this wasn't about Justin as well, but this is about T when his high school coach told me that basically you always throw to him because he's either open or he's going to be open because he's essentially open right because you're because you're going to get those balls so so to me like that's why Justin Ross gets that rose it was such a pivotal point in the game and it was just a phenomenal I think that's going to be one of those end of season highlight reel catches like it was just truly stunning um so so I wanted to let's tee you up and you can give a your rose unless I already stole your rose I don't know if you also were going to give one to Justin but if so we can share or you can come (laughs) up with someone else well, honorary Rose Hunter Renfro, obviously. Obviously. It's Monday. The sun rises in the east. Um, <laughs> but I am going to go Justin Foster on the defensive side of the ball because, you know, this was a big week for Clemson's D-line. Xavier Thomas did not make the trip to Louisville. He was in concussion protocol. He got hit in practice earlier in the week. And so here comes Justin Foster, who is a guy not a lot of people know about. And, and in the middle, too, of all of this chatter about the offense – um, I feel like a lot of people have felt like the Clemson defense has maybe not been talked about enough in terms of just how insanely productive they have been and the job that Venables has done. But Justin Foster goes out there replacing Xavier Thomas, one of the best athletes on Clemson's team, and has two sacks and three and a half tackles for loss, a forced fumble, five total tackles. I mean, this guy was just – it was probably – Venables was saying it was probably the most productive game that he's had – and, and that's a tall order. I mean, Xavier Thomas is a big, big piece of this team. And to go out there and, and do what he did in the first time that we've kind of seen him in this type of role, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, if you're a listener of ours and, and you love that we give Hunter Renfro an honorary rose every week, please tweet him. We would love to have him on the show. <laughs> so let's just peer pressure him into coming on Protect the Rock. We're, we're, we're not ashamed to beg you to help us keep <laughs> we're we're in begging season already that's funny i mean we we made it through the first half of the season without begging hunter renfro to come on the show we can do it now that's true i mean we do know that in some capacity he has some sort of bachelor experience because when i interviewed him a couple months ago he was asking me about colton's fence jump listen that's all you need to know that's really literally is. all you need to know otherwise i think everyone knows they get roses to advance so that's that those are the two key things and you know that actually reminds me grace do you think anyone's going to dress up as the fence jump for halloween oh my that would actually be a really clever and easy oh and so easy affordable so easy. costume are you gonna do it no i feel like it needs to be a guy don't you it should be a like couple need- like they, someone should be oh. the fence and someone should be colton and someone should be cassie Cat- all you'd have to do is like put on a blonde wig and sneakers so like you're running away, yeah. You know, and then, <laughs> and then he jumps over the fence. Actually, I, I bought Halloween great. candy today. Of course you did. What kind? Um, uh, the best kinds, obviously. There's like a there's a variety pack that has Kit Kats and Whoppers, which are controversial, but I'm here for them. Milk Duds, like all the works. Okay, I mean, you forgot Reese's. Reese's are the oh, best. Oh yeah, they're in there candy. too. They're in there too. Okay. 
Okay, good. There's some bad ones like crackle, but that's fine. I don't know if I've ever eaten those. I always traded. Like, I don't know about you. Like, did you guys ever like with your brothers? Did you like lay out on the table or like on the floor and just like swap out? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Which reminds me too, like people remember if you give bad candy. I still remember the neighbors that like dissed me 15 years ago. I still remember the houses that gave full size candy bars. And one of my neighbors gave me a book one time and I was so What? What was the book? I don't remember. I didn't read it. Ugh. That's also expensive. Why would you give out books? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go to the full-size houses. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, <laughs> as we debate our candy bowls, um, and I need to go buy some Reese's pumpkins because that is the perfect, like, chocolate to peanut butter ratio of anything Ooh, that Reese's makes. Right. And so their, I need to go buy their some Easter eggs are good, too. Oh, those are good, too. It's, it's all about the ratio, and, and both of those are good. So I'm going to go buy some. As we wrap up, we will be back and protect the rock. We'll be a little bit more sugar filled by the time we do our next pot on Thursday, which is for subscribers only on the athletic inside the athletic app. So if you're not a subscriber, you can be. Um, But if you like our pod, please rate us, review us. You can find us anywhere on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here. Please tweet us your questions, your thoughts, your Halloween candy takes. And uh, we will be back on Thursday with more Clemson takes, more Taylor Swift and just general merriment. We'll talk to you then.